hello and welcome to this special supplementary episode of Asynchronous, a video game catch-up show. My name is Kim. I'm AJ. We're reversing that the roles today. I know. Wow. That was, I, the power. <laughs> I'm shaking. <laughs> yeah. Um, so as we have discussed, mm-hmm. uh, we, as we are talking about 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim this season, we wanted to do some supplementary episodes talking about the different pieces of media that inspired the game and are referenced in Mm -hmm. the game. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously not all of them. There are a ton and not all of them are (laughs) easily digestible um, in a short time frame. So um, we're being a little bit selective. And this week we are talking about War of the Worlds. We did not do the original H.G. Wells uh, novel because who has the time? Yeah. But uh, <laughs> we have listened to the radio play, uh, which was performed by Orson Welles's sort of, I guess, company. Yeah, <laughs> um, I think that's what they call it. Uh, Mercury. Yeah. Mercury Theater on the air. Um, so they were literally like a theater company that um, performed radio plays, yeah. which is an awesome name, by the way. That's it's, so cool. it's really good. Yeah, yeah. They were sort of like an anthology series. Yeah. And this was uh one episode that they did for uh halloween in <laughs> 1938 mm-hmm. um it was aired over cbs directed and narrated by orson wells um and obviously an adaptation of the hg wells novel mm-hmm. ladies and gentlemen the director of the mercury theater and star of these broadcasts orson wells we know now that in the early years of the 20th century this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's yet as mortal as his own. We know now that as human beings busied themselves about their various concerns, they were scrutinized and studied, perhaps almost as narrowly as a man with a microscope might scrutinize the transient creatures that swarm and multiply in a drop of water. So just as like a, I guess, overview of, there's there's like a, (laughs) in addition to the story of, of War of the Worlds, I think it's sort of interesting to point out the meta story about this radio play, Definitely. which is um, you may be familiar with when this was aired. There were a number of people who tuned in who thought it was actually real. And I don't know about you, but I was familiar with the story, but never really understood how anyone could think that just like a story about (laughs) an alien invasion could be real Mm -hmm. because I did not know actually how the story was told. Yeah. Which is part of it, sort of the first two thirds of it was presented as an actual like radio news broadcast. Yeah. So the way that it was, you know, it, it's it's in the style of a news broadcast, but they did introduce it in the beginning with like mm-hmm. the fanfare and like the Mercury Mercury Theater on the air presents War of mm-hmm. the Worlds for the holiday. And then they went on. I think it's 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 really interesting. I think it's really um kind of pushed the the audio storytelling medium mm-hmm. farther than it should have at the time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, yeah. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not super familiar with a lot of like audio plays or audio dramas um in you know the early days of radio. But I have to imagine that this was a thing that like people did not repeat for a very long time. Yeah. Of, like, do, tr- like mimicking uh, uh news newscasts and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, just out of fear. <laughs> Yeah. And I think that there were, um, you know, we've sort of read up about this um, and we can sort of talk briefly about the article that we read. But Mm -hmm. there were a lot of things that contributed to um, (laughs) why this ended up 
seeming real to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Part of it is that um, Mercury Theater on the Air did not have commercial breaks. Mm-hmm. And they also um, did not do the... Is it called the station identification? Yes. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. so here's the, this is the, this you, is the, you should explain yeah, this. So yeah. I was, I, I have done college radio and I've taken, you know, media history classes and stuff like that. But so the, the, the fun bit about why they don't have commercials is because the Mercury theater on the air had only been uh, on the CBS radio channel for 17 weeks and they didn't have any sponsors. So they didn't have any commercials to play, which I think is 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 very funny. But also back in, you know, the 1938 radio is still a pretty young thing. Um, the, every every hour you would whatever show would come on, they would do what's called a station identification. It's like you're listening to this, you know, the, the, they have to do the call number and the call letters and all this stuff. So I, just just for sake of example, because I'm, I'm probably going to accidentally reference it farther down the line. In my college radio station was WPSC 88.7 FM Brave New Radio. So we had to say that every half hour. That's just part of the rules and regs or maybe every 15 minutes. I think that is that is now just part of the the mm-hmm. FCC, the Federal Communications Commission guidelines. And that is because of War of the Worlds. Oh, uh, that makes this, sense. this guideline did not exist. Mm-hmm. I think that ordinarily they did it at the half hour mark and they do have one in the middle of the show, but it is. It comes like two thirds of the way in. Right. Instead of at the half hour mark. So there was like 40 minutes of time where if you didn't catch the beginning of the show, you were like, holy shit, (laughs) is this really happening? So the FCC shortened that window (laughs) Mm -hmm. to every 15 minutes. So that way, even if you tune in, if if you miss the beginning, you don't have to wait until you know, almost the end of the, the show to mm-hmm. hear that it is still on the radio station. Um, yeah. Cool stuff. I think it's, it, it's also worth noting that like the degree to which people sort of believe this, is, this was real and yeah. like whether it caused like panic and hysteria is kind of, it, it's not entirely clear whether it was like, uh, you know, it, it's, it's not clear how many people actually believed right. it versus, um, but certainly, I mean, this is not, <laughs> um, scientific by any means, but, uh, we listened to this from a, a YouTube video mm-hmm. and there are comments there from a lot of different people saying like, oh, yeah, my mother told me about when she was young and she she heard it. And people were like walking outside of their homes yeah. and looking up at the sky yeah. to see if it was real. And yeah. so it, whether it caused like a great amount of panic, I think, is sort of up for debate. But it there were certainly some people who who were panicked we're not yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or, or just like weren't sure if it was real or yeah not. yeah yeah this whole story takes place in uh northern new jersey um mm-hmm. so like all <laughs> a lot of the places are around where i went to school or where yeah. i've been yeah princeton grover's mill elizabeth trenton like I've, I've been to all of these places okay i didn't realize uh grover's mill was real i figured that was uh, no they're all they are all real places yeah yeah uh, wild very funny so, yeah, I can give sort of like a, a bird's eye view of the plot. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So um, and I'll give more detail at the beginning just because I think it's important to set up like what happens at the end. Um, <laughs> but I won't go in too great of detail. Um, the idea is it starts out as just like your your average radio broadcast. There's just like, a, you know, they're like, oh, we're bringing you like this musical performance. Mm-hmm. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. From the Meridian Room in the Park Plaza Hotel in New York City, we bring you the music mm-hmm. of Raymond Raquello and his orchestra. With the touch of the Spanish, Raymond Raquello leads off with La Campanita. 
And then there's sort of a news uh, breaking news alert of um, there's been like explosions on Mars and they're like, oh, we'll keep following the story. And it sort of cuts back and forth between their like regularly scheduled programming for a while and um, news reports. So um, it starts with uh, they sent like a, a reporter out to Princeton to interview an astronomer named Richard Pearson, who's like, this has nothing to do with, you know, like this is yeah. not a cause for concern. It's um, probably just, you know, like normal explosions on, on the face of Mars. Mm-hmm. Like it's nothing to worry about. We are ready now to take you to the Princeton Observatory at Princeton, where Carl Phillips, our commentator, will interview Professor Richard Pearson, famous astronomer. We take you now to Princeton, New Jersey. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is, this is Carl Phillips speaking to you from the observatory at Princeton. I'm, I'm, I'm standing in a large semicircular room, pitch black except for an oblong split in the ceiling. Through this opening, I can see a sprinkling of stars that cast a kind of frosty glow over the intricate mechanism of the huge telescope. The ticking sound you hear is the vibration of the clockwork. Professor Pearson stands directly above me on a small platform, peering through the giant lens. Professor. Would you please tell our radio audience exactly what you see as you observe the planet Mars through your telescope? Nothing unusual at the moment, Mr. Phillips. A red disk swimming in a blue sea. Transverse stripes across the disk. Quite distinct now because Mars happens to be at the point nearest the Earth in opposition, as we call it. And then there are reports of seismographic activity at Grover's Mill, which is quite near to Princeton. So the reporter and Pearson both go to check it out. And um, what they find is an object that fell that appears to be a meteorite at first, but they realize it's like a cylinder made of metal that is clearly not natural. And uh, (laughs) basically an alien comes out. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And so the reporter tells of how Police start showing up. Um, There are like all kinds of spectators um, trying to get a peek at it. And at that point, uh, it turns violent. Mm -hmm. It shoots a heat ray that kills a number of people. And so the (laughs) that gets cut off early. Yeah. And it's it's a really I mean, it's very well acted um, on the part of the guy playing the reporter. And uh You know, you hear like screaming in the background and, um, you know, you can definitely tell how people might have thought it was real. Know what that means, what anything means. Wait a minute, something's happening. Humped shape is rising out of the pit. I can make out a small beam of light against a mirror. What's that? There's a jet of flame springing from that mirror and it leaps right at the advancing men. It strikes them head on. Lord, they're turning into flames. Ah! The whole field's caught up by the woods. The fires are... The gas tank, tanks of the automobiles spreading everywhere. Coming this way now, about 20 yards to my right. Ladies and gentlemen, due to circumstances beyond our control, we are unable to continue the broadcast from Grover's Mill. Evidently, there's some difficulty with our field transmission. However, 
at this point, I think it's worth noting. The anchor's like, okay, we're having some trouble, so we're going to cut, you know, cut back to our regularly scheduled programming until Mm -hmm. we hear from the reporter. Um, But just so you know, we got a statement from, like, this other astronomer in San Diego who expressed the opinion that the explosions on Mars are just volcanic. And this is is coming after we've already seen there is an alien here, um, (laughs) which is just so funny to me. What proceeds to occur is um, it is determined that this was just the first in uh, the beginning of a full scale invasion where uh, at the beginning we're still hearing it um, in the form of these like breaking radio uh, uh, announcements. Um, and then eventually, as it becomes clearer, like the scale of this thing, the military takes over the airwaves. <laughs> and so we start to hear the sounds of basically like military radio chatter yeah as as um you know the u.s military is trying to fight off this invasion um and the uh you hear about like more of of these cylinders that start landing um this is when you start to hear about the tripods um these you know not to be confused with high quads not to be confused with high quads (laughs) um these big sort of alien uh weapons Mm -hmm. that walk on three legs And they are headed for New York City. And, you know, it's sort of speculated that, like, this is probably happening all over the world Mm -hmm. and, like, major cities are being targeted. Army bombing plane B-843 off Bayonne, New Jersey. Lieutenant Volt, commanding eight bombers, reporting to Commander Fairfax Langham Field. This is Volt reporting to Commander Fairfax Langham Field. Enemy tripod machines now in sight. Reinforced by three machines from the Morristown Cylinder. Six altogether. One machine partially crippled. Believed hit by shell from army gun in Wachung Mountains. Guns now appear silent. A heavy black fog hanging close to the earth of extreme density, nature unknown. No sign of heat ray. Enemy now turns east, crossing Passaic River into the Jersey marshes. Another straddles the Pulaski Skyway. Evident objective is New York City. They're pushing down a high-tension power station. The machines are close together now, and we're ready to attack. Planes circling, ready to strike. A thousand yards, and we'll be over the first. Eight hundred yards. Six hundred. Four hundred. Two hundred. There they go. The giant arm raised. Green flash. Spraying us with flame. Two thousand feet. Engines are giving out. No chance to release bombs. Only one thing left, drop on them, plane and all. We're diving on the first one. Now the engine's gone. Eight. Something that I also want to 
touch back on at some point is the fact that they are largely not focused on um, attacking people, but more so focused on uh, taking out infrastructure Mm -hmm. like power lines, uh, phone lines, bridges, things like that. So eventually (laughs) they invade New York City. Mm -hmm. It actually goes back to... um, uh, being more of a like radio broadcast at that point where uh, we're hearing from like a radio station in New York where um, it's really pretty disturbing. Um, you know, it's just a, a an anchor sort of describing what he's seeing in Manhattan as yeah. as these things take over. Um, tons of people were unable to evacuate because of like gridlock and whatever. Um, and so he just sort of describes um, the invasion of New York and mm. eventually is cut off. Um, the The aliens are using, in addition to the heat ray, like a poisonous smoke mm-hmm. to, to neutralize <laughs> humans. Yeah. Now the smoke's spreading faster. It's reached Times Square. People are trying to run away from it, but it's no use. They... They're falling like flies. Now the smoke's crossing 6th Avenue. 5th Avenue. Uh, A hundred yards away. It's... It's 50 feet. So that that takes us to the about 40 minute mark where we finally get the station identification and it transitions to um, more of a traditional narrative. We find out that Richard Pearson, the uh, Princeton astronomer, is actually alive. He managed to take cover in a, a farmhouse in Grover's Mill and survive and at some point realizes that it seems like the aliens are no longer in the area and um starts to you know he ventures out and starts walking towards new york and you know we just sort of (laughs) it's this is uh, orson welles played um pearson and um it's very well written and well acted Mm. and um yeah there's a (laughs) nothing like too too significant of note other than he um encounters some other uh survivor who um is like a little scary (laughs) who's kind of like you know like this world is done like has has no hope for um humanity and you know to the extent that there are other survivors i think he's like fuck those people essentially although he seems to take a liking to pearson and um talks about how he wants to co-opt the alien tech um, he's like, if we get one of those tripods, we can not only take them out, but we can rule the world, yeah. you know, that co- whatever version of the world comes after this. Yeah. And Pearson's like, I'm going to go. Just imagine this. Four or five of their own fighting machines suddenly start off heat rays right and left. Not a Martian in them. Not a Martian in them, see? But men, men who've learned the way how. May even in our time. Gee. Imagine having one of them lovely things with its heat ray wide and free. We'd turn it on Martians. We'd turn it on men. We'd bring everybody down on their knees. That's your plan. Yeah. You, me, a few more of us. We'd own the world. I see. Hey. Hey, what's the matter? 
Where are you going? Not to your world. Bye, stranger. And so uh, this concludes with Pearson arriving. I think it was in Central Park. Yeah. Um, to find um, 19 of the tripods sort of like parked there and they are empty and all of the aliens are in Central Park dead. Um, and it turns out that is because they have succumbed to disease. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there's this this great line he says, Plain, after all, man's defenses had failed by the humblest thing that God, as wisdom, has put upon this earth. And so, yeah, it, it sort of ends with uh, a discussion of how the world is beginning to rebuild mm -hmm. and how strange it is after everything that's happened to, to sort of see the world start to go on yeah. uh, the way that it had before. Yeah. Really good. Really good. Really good. I, yeah. It, Sorry, it I didn't. Was, I, I was. I was. I was enraptured by your retelling of it because it is such a good story. It's like a, a feat, I think, um, of of, mm -hmm. of storytelling. And like I said, I'm not familiar with other you know audio dramas of the day. Mm -hmm. uh, but the fact that this one has prevailed for 80 years, I think, is a pretty good indicator that it was like was and still is like mm -hmm. a, a monumental moment for for audio yeah. storytelling. Um, yeah, really, I saw really someone wild. describe it as like the audio equivalent of found footage. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, I I did not mention um, the the narration um, from Pearson in the final third is supposed to be like his journal that he's keeping, mm -hmm. which is is kind of cool, too. It adds yeah. to that like found footage kind of. Um, yeah, vibe. It's good shit. And yes. also um, <laughs> Orson Welles was 25. <laughs> Yeah, when he wrote this really uh, and, and performed it, wild man. Mm -hmm. <laughs> wild. Yeah, um, it's funny too. There's um, uh, the the article that we read is sort of a Smithsonian article yeah. that uh, we can put in the show notes, but yeah. um, it, it was sort of discussing like, did they intend to deceive people? <sighs> um, and it seems very clear that most people in the Mercury Theater Company did not intend to do that. Yeah. As to Orson Welles himself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit less uh, yeah, clear. Yeah. Um, it all, you know, it almost seems like there is like at some point it dawns on him that it is possible to to make quite a splash with this thing by yeah. leaning into the realism of it. Yeah. Um, but it's it's unclear. Yeah, there are some quotes from him also in that article that are like, I if I was aiming to be the most hated man in the country, like <laughs> I've done it. And I don't know if that's yeah. how I wanted to start my career. So why would I try and deceive people? But at the right. same time, like he's been uh, hosting the show for 17 weeks. They were so like unknown. They didn't even have mm -hmm. a sponsor. So I could definitely see the purpose full missing of the half hour right. station ID, which which regular breaking news does not have to abide by usually. Oh, because um, it's you know, it's breaking news. It's it's of right. of importance. So like, I don't know, I feel like co-opting that kind of trust that people have in the radio mm -hmm. um, for just 10 minutes. It's just 10 yeah. minutes, you know, but uh, but yeah. that that 10 minutes. Makes... But yeah, it was it was 10 minutes of radio chatter. Right. Of, of <laughs> like, military. Ch yeah. 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 And uh, someone being like, so the military is destroyed yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we have lost yeah. um so, so yeah it's just wild stuff a, a really mm -hmm. really uh i think you know just in and of itself a really great piece of media yeah well written well acted yeah. the actor who uh 
was cast as their reporter, mm. apparently in preparing for the role, listened to a recording of the Hindenburg disaster <sighs> over and over That's to study. fucking harrowing, dude. Yeah, yeah. Holy it's, shit. <laughs> yeah, wild stuff. But yeah, it's really, really good. Um, The way it like just builds tension Mm -hmm. too is is incredible. It's really, really, it's it's Um, good. It's a good piece of media. It's great. It's good. And uh, I think the parallels in 13 Sentinels here are obvious. Mm -hmm. I mean, they they reference the the novel literally, you know, uh, by name. Mm -hmm. And this is like roughly the story of the novel. I I don't think they, the the aliens die in the end of the novel. um, because Do they not? I don't think so because there's two books and in the beginning of the second book it's like about the rule under the martians oh from from what i read on wikipedia from what i skimmed on wikipedia but like like kim said at the beginning it's a seven hour audiobook and a 300 page book that was written in 1898 so like it can't be that easy to read um mm-hmm. yeah so that's the that's the radio play i think as far as like you know the obvious the direct references mm-hmm. in 13 sentinels i think it's also really interesting to think about like war of the worlds the radio show in the context of the world and like how you know we we were growing up it was like oh it was this mass hysteria which like maybe isn't true but i think i I think the 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 question of like what is real and who can Mm -hmm. you trust i think is 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 more of a theme in 13 sentinels than the like you know actual big aliens yeah i think too as we've as we've proceeded through the story, I actually think I've started to see more through lines than I did originally. Mm. Um, certainly in terms of just like on the surface references, mm. um, this first, I think, comes up most clearly in Nachan's story mm. where, um, you know, she actually sees the high quads mm. and is like, those look like the tripods from whatever. And um, the way that we find out what happened in this like future uh, that she has visited with mm. BJ is through BJ playing for her a couple of different news broadcasts. Oh, interesting. So I, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that too felt like a sort of direct uh, reference. Mm-hmm. I think there's also a through line of like kind of non-linearity. Um, mm. This is sort of why I brought up that statement from the astronomer coming after we have already seen sure. that like this is very clearly an alien mm. invasion just as a sort of, I don't know. I think it's, it's I love that detail. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that its inclusion is probably intended to to get at what I think is the core theme of the radio play. Mm. I can't speak to the book. I understand that um, according to the article that we read, the book is sort of a satire of British imperialism right, right. Um, because it takes place in Great Britain. And, you know, like you said, it's uh, it shows the <laughs> aliens after actually like taking over. Um, so it's it's kind of like, oh, how do you like being colonized? Yeah. And I think that there <laughs> yeah. is there is, I think, a little nod to that in the radio play. Mm-hmm. Um particularly for an American audience where like American exceptionalism is called into question um, because I think it was, I think it's like that creep that Pearson meets who's like, they took out the greatest country in the world. Like it was nothing or whatever. But I, I think to me, the radio play felt very much like it was, it's about hubris um, Mm -hmm. and sort of, the hubris of man, also the hubris of the aliens eventually, yeah. um, you know, it sort of shows our infrastructure and technology failing us mm-hmm. um, and how easily those things can be manipulated 
by an enemy. And in some cases, I thought it was interesting, too, that like completely, you know, not as far as we can tell, intended by the aliens, um, <laughs> like infrastructure that was intended to help us came to harm us. There's uh, a point where um, the radio station based in New York says it is like impossible to get out of the city via the Long Island Expressway yeah. because um, that it is just completely gridlocked. Yeah. And this is probably around the times, too. I don't know the exact timeline, but this is probably around the times where like highways are becoming a big thing. Like the the early 1900s. Probably starting to. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that I think that like the suburban boom is really after World War Two. Right. Where yeah. The cities started becoming more sprawly. Yeah. 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 But um. But yeah, clearly it was <laughs> it was a thing in, mm -hmm. in uh, 1938. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, just on the, the subject of arrogance, mm -hmm. there's at the beginning Pearson and like this other astronomer from San Diego are, you know, not only do they make a point of being like, this can't be aliens. This is just like some kind of natural thing. Mm -hmm. They are like so smug about mm -hmm. it so confident mm. like and uh, you know sort of like tut tutting the idea <laughs> that this could be something yeah. uh something worse um and we see it reflected again and at some point there's a, a an announcement from a military official named captain lansing mm. um who is like we have this thing under control. We have all these machine guns pointed at this thing. Uh -huh. They're gonna they're about to get smoked. Yeah. And then nope. that does not go well yeah. for them. Yeah. And I think um I mean we haven't obviously we've only just started the game, but I think there are uh, you know, there are comparisons here with um talking about the hubris and arrogance of of man mm -hmm. um with like the matrix um which we just will come up more in in this coming friday's episode so a teaser for that i guess but or thursday thursday jesus christ when does our show come out <laughs> but but you know uh, humanity creates these these robots or these whatever um that wind up it, you know they they it circles back around and and then the the robots are now in control or whatever and like that's the entire plot of the matrix mm -hmm. uh, on, on a very basic level and like i could see that somehow being part of the plot of 13 sentinels with like maybe the shikishima created the the daimos for whatever purpose and then had to create the sentinels mm -hmm. to protect against the daimos but they made the daimos in such a way that they can now self-replicate uh because right you know human humanity was like oh we can just make automatic factories um which we know is a thing in in that universe so it's it's that same idea of hubris and and mm -hmm. arrogance thinking you know we know best and we can control everything yeah. Or, you know, I think as we'll <laughs> talk about in Thursday's episode, it's not entirely clear if Shikishima created these things in it's the first right. instance or or maybe like are co-opting technology that they they did not create. But right. we we do see that reflected in, in War of the Worlds yeah. where the, <laughs> you know, someone wants to try and uh, use the uh, tripod tech for his own gain. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think it's uh, I have a feeling that we're going to keep seeing more through lines as we learn more about this story. Yeah, um, I'm guessing just because it, the more we play, I think the more these these pieces start coming together. Yeah. 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 I don't know if I have uh, anything else. Yeah. I, th I think that's, I think that's a, that's a fine place to leave it. I'm, I'm happy leaving it there. Like we said, these episodes will, or these, you know, little supplementary analysis episodes um, will just be kind of like little things talking about the reference referential material within 13 Sentinels. Um, so, you know, we'll, I'll leave a link to the YouTube video that we listened on. I'll leave a link to the, um, 
the the Smithsonian article that we referenced a couple times. Uh, if you want to listen for yourself and you haven't yet, that'll be there. And yeah, I I, I, I think it's a really great piece of media, and I think it's um mm-hmm. it, the themes and stuff and and the, you know the literal uh carryovers into Thirteen Sentinels I think are are executed very well. So yeah, that's all I have. Yeah, if I may share a final thought. <gasps> yes. Uh, dim and wonderful is the vision I have conjured up in my mind. In my mind of life spreading slowly from this little seedbed of the solar system throughout the inanimate vastnesses of sidereal space. space. But that is a remote dream. Well, see you Thursday, everybody. Good for thought. Bye. Bye. Garbage. Not online.